Hello and welcome to the Ray Show podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and we are coming to you from beautiful downtown Athens, Georgia. It's a lovely late summer evening, and tonight on the podcast, we have the amazing Danny Filth from the mighty Cradle of Filth on the show. So we talk all things Cradle with Danny, and he's super cool and super fun to talk to. So we'll have that coming up for you in just a few. Um, Also, check out their new record, Existence is Futile. It is amazing. It's been out close to a year now, and it just keeps gaining legs with me, man. One of those just absolute classics. So make sure to check that one out. I also want to announce that we will have our first live show, live podcast taping at Cine Athens on October 5th. Uh, Full details will be announced on our socials and on our website, ratiopodcast.com coming up soon so uh keep an eye peeled for that it'll have information on how to attend and then how to watch from the comfort of your couch you know with your your own party favors so you know either way you know we'll, we'll have that information coming for you here very soon but without further ado i'd want to welcome mr danny filth all right, everybody. I, I've been waiting for this one since we got started. I mean, thank God, thank Satan, whoever the hell you want to thank. We have the amazing Danny Filth on the podcast this evening. How you doing, Gre- sir? I'm very well, thank you. Greetings. Greetings. Well, it's good to have you here. And, um, you know, just to get right off the bat, you guys are touring behind the excellent Existence is Futile picking back up with the Mexico Metal Fest and then, you know, going till early December. How is the atmosphere at these shows compared to opposed to last year when you were just starting to tour on existence? Uh, Well, we did come back to America. Yes, um, yes. In June. Um, Well, you mean like with the resurgence of people coming back to shows following COVID? I'm kind of talking more about May, like from May on, because I know you guys toured here in May and June um, as a, you know, the feeling of shows now with people being a little more acclimated to what, what this pandemic entails as far as keeping people safe. How do you, do you feel a difference now in getting ready to uh, yeah, I guess out? so. I, I, I felt it more at the beginning. You know, we toured America very fortunately uh, at the tail end of the COVID epidemic last year. Um, when was it like roughly literally around the same time? Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, around October time and uh, yeah, more noticeable then. Less people, but people, you know, like were desperate, you could feel it, desperate to get back to shows. Um, I don't know if that's the case now. I, I think people are very happy getting back to shows now, but there's just so many of them because obviously the the, the gates have opened and <laughs> everybody's back out on the road. Um, so that, you know, everybody's spoiled for choice. And I'll tell you what, we've had a really great um, summer of festivals, especially here in Europe. Uh, not just ones we play, but, you know, just general, you know, the vibe that's coming from people that I know that visit them. The, it's all, it's big and brash and back and, uh, you know, everybody, I think it's very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I see, I've been to big festivals and I've been to club shows. I just see a real, a real excitement back now and a, and a sense of people are not going to take this for fucking granted again. So, um but you're getting started with uh, Mexico Metal Fest. So many great bands on that bill. You guys, Mayhem, to name a few. And then you have the Mighty Wasp. 
So uh, how yeah, did that? That I, I really wanted to stay. I was like, as soon as I heard the wasp were playing. Yes, yeah. Which, I mean, they literally stick out like a sore thumb, really, because the rest is sort of a thrash death, you know, um, black metal festival, and then you have wasp. And I really want to see wasp. Unfortunately. They're the playing the day that we're flying out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, I wanted to ask you, how do you like playing festivals at this point in the game? And, I mean, do you still get out and check out any of the bands? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've done some great festivals. Uh, we just did a few with Merciful Fate. Oh. Um, obviously had to go and uh, check out King Diamond and Amazing. his merry crew. Um, yeah, Paradise Lost. I, I don't know. It's just... When we can catch people, we can catch people. But if you see uh, a festival in advance and you just see all these bands go, oh, my God, I've got to see that. But it always coincides with something you've got to do, like uh, interviews or something, press, uh, or you're getting ready for stage, or it's completely the wrong day, which is usually the case. But all the good bands you want to see (laughs) next day. Well, I tell you, you know, this is a Cradle of Filth interview, but uh, you said you played with um, the mighty Merciful Fate. I saw him out in Vegas. How amazing was it to see that band back together and just uh, flying on all cylinders? Yeah, it, it was great. And it was it was great seeing them play a lot of stuff from Don't Break the Oath, which is, well, one of my favorite, like in my top 10 records of all time. Oh, me everyone too. bangs on about Melissa, you know, like obviously after Metallica uh, covered them laboriously. But I, I love that record. Oh, I, I do too. It's, uh, it's timeless. And it was great to hear tracks being played from it. You're right. You're so right about Melissa. I love it. But there's just this evil feel about Don't Break the Oath that just has stayed with me since, like, my 10-year-old ears heard it. And it's it still holds up so powerful. You know, it's it still is like... It's, it, it really has a, a, a unique sound. Um but now let's get back to Cradle of Filth here. You know, Existence is Futile is one of those records whose blackened hooves just keep blazing along. I mean, you know, you're coming up on this has been released, a, you know, a year. And, and I think you're making the best records of your career. What do you think has led to this mighty run Cradle is on, especially these last fucking three records that are just stompers every track on it? Uh, well, we, we parted ways with a previous guitarist who, at the time, to be perfectly honest, was um, was kind of hogging both guitar slots. You know, he wasn't very happy with anybody to write with. Ooh. Right. And so it became a, it became a little difficult um, proceeding. And then the end sort of came when he, he just decided he didn't want to tour um, or at least to leave it for a few years. And uh, at which point we were co-headlining, co-headlining in Europe with Behemoth. And, uh, yeah, uh, we j- I just took the tour anyway. Had to find um, two guitarists, or other guitarists we'd used, but he was only like a live guy. Right. He had a, suddenly had a real problem with his uh, back and neck and had to have, like, spinal surgery. I'm, I'm not laughing about that, obviously, but... Um, the fact of it is, last minute, I had to find two new guitarists. Jesus Christ. And the tour was that great, and everybody got on that well, and it felt like this renewed force that, um, yeah, as soon as we came back from tour, it was like, well, this is this is just going to have to stay like this because this is great. And, uh, I, yeah, I think that just uh, gave us a little resurgence. 
Well, yeah, there's this. There, I love the feel of this record. It has that wonderful dramatic air in the songs. Like I'm especially talking about necromantic fantasies, and and discourse between a man and his soul. What were you listening to when these songs were being written? What were influencing this, these things? Because I'm always amazed that you keep reinventing, you know, cradle album to fucking album. Oh, God, I've got no idea what we listened to at the time. It was, <laughs> we were on tour that year. I think that was a big inspiration for it. 2019 uh, was a really busy year for us. We, we literally did the whole world. And, and we got to see some really cool shit as well. Um, and it, yeah, I mean the title and everything like that, the music, it was all inspired by this, 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 you know, this very busy year. Um, and then we were very fortunate in the fact, well, not fortunate in the fact that COVID came along, but we were very fortunate in the fact that we weren't going out on tour when suddenly, you know, the whole world shut down Right. and that our drummer who's based in the Czech Republic, you know, central Europe had already come over to England and recorded his drums. So oh. Had he not have done that, you know, we would have been waiting like four or five months, you know, to get access to him because the borders were shut. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, we had all the guide tracks and everything like that. And I just literally went in the studio um, and uh, whoever else was based in England at the time. And we just took our t- time with it. We were only working like five, six hours a day. That's all you could really do. Right. Because um, of kind of curfews and what have you. But. It, 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 I think that's what lent the album its uh, its, its particular feel. Um, it was a very strange period because, you know, we were at a studio. It was just literally us two working there. Uh, everywhere else was desolate, out in the middle of the countryside. It literally felt like a zombie apocalypse. Right. My gosh. Um, well, let's let's go back a little bit. Uh, what was it like for you growing up in Hertford? Was it was it a metal? Uh, well, I didn't actually. I was born there, but You're I grew up there. in Suffolk. You, you, Literally lived in the same part of England the entirety of my life. In Suffolk, right? Bit, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a county. And uh, it may sound a little dull, but honestly, when you spend six months a year all over the world, you, you want a little bit of, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, something provincial and uh, not overly busy to come back to. Well, uh, what was it like growing up there? Was it was it a me- was there a metal friendly area at your school with your friends? I mean, was was that uh, something that was frowned upon back then? You know, when we were but, coming up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up in villages. You know, like if you imagine like quintessential English village with thatched cottages and you know nestled in the English countryside, stone churches. That's where I grew up. I mean, that's where I live now. And uh, yeah, it was burgeoning. There was like a a couple of people at best. And then, you know, maybe a few more as we got into high school. And then it kind of became popular again because, you know, they had the likes of Metallica and Guns N' Roses. Um, Yeah, it was small, but cool. And then my local town was where the gigs happened. They had a massive grindcore scene there. Um, Literally the hub of grindcore at one point. and uh, yeah, it was, it was strange. It was because we had a local DJ that was very famous who suddenly championed the hardcore scenes. He had like Extreme Noise Terror and Napalm Death playing there and Carcass and Bolster. Really pretty cool. Yeah, you talking about John Peel? 
Yeah, I'm actually talking about John Peel. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. it's... He, he literally he used to go to the gigs uh, with his family. Like he had two young children, <laughs> his wife, and he used to try drag him along to these extreme, you know, hardcore punk gigs like Extreme Noise Terror playing, and uh, yeah, would would be playing all this weird stuff on the radio like uh, Mongolian throat music and stuff <laughs> yes. like the Pogues and the Smiths, and then suddenly just chucking a napalm death song it was uh quite splendid really yeah he, he, i loved his listening uh, habits he was just he truly had no boundaries um yeah he didn't live very far away from here at all i mean literally about 10 miles um away from my where i live now and oh, you see him around used to see him around all the time you know just shopping <laughs> well did you ever have any uh did you ever talk to him did you ever have any, any interactions with him yeah, briefly, yeah. And apparently, um, according to his autobiography, which I find very weird because he didn't particularly like metal. I don't right. think he really played metal at all. But according to his autobiography, he, he really liked the Cradle of Filth T-shirts. Like he had the Jesus shirt and everything. Yeah. I don't know. It really tickled him. I don't know why. Well, that's great. Well, it's got to be, you know, he was an artistic guy, you know, and, and, you know, getting to that, I've read that, you know, I had that shirt when I was, you know, whenever in my late 20s. Um, and, and how do you feel about that shirt now? Um, I look at it as this, if, if just to, real quick, I look at it as a really, uh, you know, beautiful artistic statement between. Uh, it know, is, but I. I mean, to be perfectly, to be perfectly honest, uh, we're not getting younger. in the late 20s and the older you get i mean my girlfriend is uh like i'm turning 50 next year and my girlfriend's turning 30 next year and uh so she's got a completely different outlook on things and she asked for one of these shirts one of the shirts we just reprinted them she wanted in like extra large so it just would hang like a dress yeah and um yeah we, we got up one morning and we, we went to a cafe, a uh, very posh cafe, actually, uh, in, in where she, near where she lives. And it was only when I got in there, I suddenly realized, fuck, she's wearing that dress. Why didn't I even? <laughs> and then I suddenly felt really self-conscious of my own shirt as everybody was eating their tea, you know, having their tea and crumpets. And there was a cheese to emblazoned across the back of her, um, her dress. Right, right. Well, I find that shirt, I don't even think that's the most offensive shirt you guys have released. That The Desire Me Like Satan shirt, if I wear that out even to my local bar, you know, uh, I get looks. So uh, I guess I guess I read something where you were saying it's, you know, own these things, but wear them in the house on Sunday when you're like, you know, kicking around, you know. I mean, it's just... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, festivals, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with it, but I must admit... Um, I know it sounds unbelievable. I, I would be embarrassed wearing it in front of someone's children, you know. Right, right. Well, um, you know, I, I, I love it. I still think, you know, I wear mine in the house, but uh, that's my little rebellion here at 48. So, um, <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned, you know, children, without prying into any personal details, how has having a child throughout these very successful years affected the approach with which you attack your career? Um, well, I think it easily could have got, well, I say easily could have got out of hand. It, it definitely did that in, uh, in, in absolute spades at one point. It was around like when the band was getting pretty big around the sort of 98, uh, 1999, um, era. 
and that my, my daughter was born in late 19, uh, no, early 1999, <laughs> I almost forgot then, <laughs> 1999. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it just kept me grounded. Yeah, I didn't go off, you know, I went off the rails. We were going off the rails, you know, we were a heavy metal band, we were getting recognised, we were touring everywhere and, you know, magazine covers and the whatnot. And we were really getting into our art at the same time. But it gave us real cool opportunities, like recording, you know, albums for four months at a time, a residential studio, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, we were party animals. But having, yeah, like having a daughter and having a certain responsibility, um, yeah, definitely kept me grounded. And, I, I, you know, probably saved my life. Right, probably saved right. quite a few people's lives having, uh, having that uh, sort of anchor. Well, you got to enjoy, she, you know, it's got to be fun now, have, you know, at, at, when she's older to be able and to she's share. she's moved out, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to share a cradle with her, you know, and be able to talk about all these things and stuff that maybe, you know. Well, she's a, um, believe it or not, I mean, she obviously comes to our gigs and what have you, but she's a big Bring Me the Horizon fan. Right. And so when I did that song with them, I took her along. She's in the video and, and. Uh, yes, that's well, One so good great. thing about, yeah, good thing about being, you know, where we are now is that I can ask Ollie and say, well, he's actually promised her lifelong tickets, but I can say, oh my God, look, Reading's happening next week. Can you get her, you know, on the guest list? And uh, one small perk, I guess. Right, right. And I look at that, you know, those cats grew up listening to you guys. So, I mean, re- being able to that repay the favor to you guys, man, that's that's amazing. You know, just for all the art you've given them and the inspiration. Um, just a couple more here with you. Um, but okay. Thank, thanks Satan, man. October is finally almost upon us and Halloween's right around the corner. What are some movies or records you will be enjoying this holiday season? Oh, wow. That's totally caught me out. Totally <laughs> off, off guard. You know, every, I, even if you just said, what's your five favorite movies or what's your five favorite records? I would still be going, duh. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I just, I'm terrible at that sort of thing. I religiously, um, although Halloween's always kind of not ruined for me, but it's never the Halloween I've always wanted. Ironically, I actually had the best Halloween about six years ago in Atlanta. Um, my girlfriend at the, yeah, my girlfriend at the time had friends in Atlanta. We just had holiday in LA and we went there and it was a proper thoroughbred, you know, pure American Halloween with a totally decorated house and costume party and, you know, um, dunking for apples and drinking too much beer. And it was it was amazing. Proper Halloween. Right, right. Um, but normally, you know, we're always doing something because that's kind of what's expected of a band like ours at yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always play... Uh, either Danzig, Misfits, or Sam Hain. Oh yeah. King Diamond, Merciful Fate, basically anything with the word Halloween in. And I listen to horror soundtracks most of the year, so um, that really doesn't make much difference if I put any of those on. Well, you know, kind of talking about that, you know, we're around the same age. I think you're like four months older than me. So a lot of guys our age tend to have some of the same gateway albums that are into metal. What were some of yours? I mean, for example, like your first Maiden album, your first Sabbath album, what were some of the ones, you know, because like, for instance, you know, my first just chronologically, the first Priest album I bought with my own money was Turbo. And that's a very polarizing album to some. 
But I always find it interesting to it's hear. It's very 80s. Yeah, very 80s. So what were some of the gateway albums that, that really brought you into being into, you know, making music yourself? <clears throat> well, I got into it about when I was just turned 13, I think, maybe on the cusp of 12. Uh, my friend just got me totally into it. I got hooked. You know, I was already into horror movies and uh, it just seemed like a natural progression. And um, I just liked dark music. Before that, it was like dark pop music. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, my gateway albums were actually funny enough. Uh, Don't Break the Oath was one of them. Yes. Um, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Number of the Beast. Well, actually, Live After Death than anything before it, really. Um, like Early Destruction. I, I got into Thrash very quickly from right. that. I was really into Venom and Slayer. I think... The, the, the thing was, my friend gave me a, a compilation. He'd been into it a lot longer, uh, maybe a couple of years, and he gave me a compilation tape, and it was just a real mixed bag. It had everything from the plasmatics, believe it or not, through to Razor and Possessed, but then it had Maiden and Crocus. and Yeah, so I kind of just cherry-picked the bands I really, really liked. But at that, you know, when you were that young, you just loved everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. And especially that time, when you think about, like, 86, like, all the records that came out that oh, year. Oh, yeah, there was know. a great album that came around, came out around that time called Speed Kills. Oh, yeah. It's like a compilation, but yes. Speed Kills 2. Yes. Speed Kills 2, it was incredible. It had, I've just been talking about this with this uh, author, Joel McIver, um, about that very record, because it opened with, like, Agent Steel. It had uh, Halloween, Razor, Onslaught. You know, all these great... Oh, God, yeah. Both Razor uh, and Onslaught are so underrated. My God. I mean... Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's how that's how I got into that. And then it progressed into, you know, as it, as it got... More, as metal got more underground, I really got into, you know, from grindcore to death metal to, you know, like doom stuff and... Symphonic. Well, when I say symphonic metal, I'm really not a massive fan of traditional heavy metal. Right. But, um, yeah. Well, yeah. It seems like you, you covered all the all the bad guys there. Yeah, literally. It, I have yeah, to yeah. stop myself talking because I'll be here for another ten hours now talking you. about it. I hear you. <laughs> I suddenly realized we're on a radio show. Well, uh, let me ask you, what's uh, what's next for Cradle? I know you guys are going to go on tour. How much longer do you see the cycle for uh, Existence is Futile going on? Well, possibly for another year. Um, we're actually currently writing toward another record, uh, but it's only in its formative stages. We've got loads of material. It's just we want to do something really perfect. And uh, it's just a, a kind of managing our time, really, because we've got so many things happening and, uh, you know, good management that's plotting ahead. So summer festivals kind of booked for next year. Nice. nice. Um, I was in the studio today just putting off the finishing touches to a couple of new tracks that are accompanying a double live album, which is coming out uh Around April, May next year. Oh, wow. That will be exciting. Oh, my God. Yeah, we just thought we'd put, like, two um, fresh tracks on it as well because they kind of, you know, uh, act as, like, spearheads, I suppose, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it gives, you know, gives the fans also something extra special, man. That's That sounds awesome to have this a live document of this lineup and then to have two extra tracks with it, man. Um, but so you guys going to be touring the States next year? 
Absolutely. Um, I think we're looking at, well, I think tentatively this time next year. Okay. Well, uh, Danny, I just want to thank you so much. Is there any, uh, what's the best uh, place for our listeners to get in touch with Cradle and find out all things Cradle, you know, social? Well, there's, yeah, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, you know, the, the usual shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Danny Filth for coming on and talking all things Cradle of Filth with us this evening. Wasn't he fucking cool? Go out and listen to Cradle of Filth and, and make sure you catch him on their next run wherever you may be located. That's our show for this evening. Stay switched on, and we'll talk to you soon.